This is Coda Radio, episode 517 for May 8th, 2023. Hello, friend, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the whole dang world of technology. My name is Chris, and join us over there sounding extra spicy this week. It's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hello. Happy May the 8th be with you. Oh, no, I don't. I think I think I only have to put up with that for one day. I don't think after that. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you, I'm just not a big fan of the giant corporation decides that we're going to make a big celebration this day and then like it just happens like how long has this may the fourth thing been with you i feel like it's been simmering in the underbelly of the dirty star wars culture for a while and now since like disney plus or something it's like in my face every may 4th I, it does sound good i'll give them that it's one of our better sounding holidays but i'm just waiting for it to be declared a national holiday they should actually I, I, I would I would support that. <laughs> Actually, I might get on board with that as well. <laughs> well, um, I hope you uh, are feeling good that you can uh, oh, yeah. save the pocketbook a little bit. The budgets won't be blown out this year because the rumor mill is churning before WWDC. And the signal seems to be clear. No M3 Max or iPads this year at all due to yield issues with TSMC. Apple will not be able to supply enough of the M3s, so Apple has decided to delay the release of the M3 chip until next year. No M3 Macs, no M3 iPads this year. And, you know, I think the most remarkable thing about that is I was kind of hoping, and I think many of us were kind of hoping, that Apple could discover some sort of regular cadence once they dropped Intel. And, um, I mean, these are, again events outside their control but here we are with a weird caddy wampus cadence yeah even though they make the chips because they don't actually make the chips tsm right designed in california sort of situation right yeah but the thing is intel does make their own chips right and we'll see but it seems like it's potentially possible that intel meteor lake should be coming out in late 2023 now there's been some mixed signals there but I take one signal pretty seriously. Intel submitted driver patch code to Linux for Meteor Lake desktop CPUs. Yep. So they're prepping Linux 6.3 to support Meteor Lake, which means they might be on schedule, which means we could have this weird situation where Intel has an opportunity to at least catch up a little bit and probably save off some of the bleeding and satisfy some of the x86 PC OEMs at an absolutely critical time like this TSMC failure is a gift to Intel if they can stick the landing for Meteor Lake if they can stick it right the 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 elephant <laughs> in the rumors were still talking about Intel so, so there yeah, is plenty true. of opportunity to mess this up yeah and there's already been some reporting that oh actually the Meteor Lake desktop CPU's been canceled and then there's somebody else that reports oh actually that was premature it's just a, a variant and <laughs> it's so ridiculous you would think we're in the 90s with this just sorting this stuff out and trying to get scale going and we are so not in the 90s i'm not convinced that we're not in the 90s i mean it's a loop it is a loop that, that just means that just means cool shorts are coming back Woo, bring on the boys boy shorts board shorts very different very <laughs> very different <laughs> i heard one thing i know that i know that 
All right. What do you think of this? Uh, Joel's got a take on some of the AI doomerism that we have been rolling around. Uh, he says, regarding the apparent AI doomerism consensus in the Valley, I suspect it's a Mott and Bailey situation. Mott is, we need to solve an alignment and control problem before an AI arms race leads to a paperclip apocalypse. And then there's the Bailey perspective. We need to keep AI power tools out of the hands of the masses who are already too dangerous with only Photoshop and social media. It is really what it is, isn't it? It is these two, it is these two different forces that are at play. And I had a kind of an unsettling experience because I've been using uh, Chad Gippity pretty regularly to just kind of summarize and get data about things. And there's the tool now, I think it's like called Colorful or something like that, that uses Chad Gippity on the back end to, to uh, analyze the article and then provide me information about its bias. And it, it does a pretty decent job of pointing out like maybe where an author failed to articulate the other perspective fairly and things like that. But it also just slips in rando internet bias that isn't necessarily true because, you know, in theory, the data set came from a lot of places online and maybe a lot of places online said this thing that isn't actually accurate, but it's been said that way for the last few years and they haven't updated the models or any of the data since then. So it's just got old information. And it's basically spreading propaganda. <laughs> I mean, it's not political propaganda in this case, but I was pretty surprised. And I realized, you know, everybody's so freaked out about being manipulated and getting, you know, uh, like fakes that make people think that a president said something or whatever. But what I am actually more worried about is stupid idiots reach some sort of idiot consensus online. That idiot consensus is observed by enough of these models then it becomes the AI consensus. And then we're just getting basically idiots online repeated back to us in something that sounds official and will be taken seriously as an answer. That's the kind of misinformation I'm much more concerned about is none of the stuff's really being fact-checked or verified. It's just kind of whatever some moron writes that then propagates at scale is essentially what these things think are true. You're worried about stupid people being stupid, effectively. I'm worried about essentially not going back and reassessing everything all the time. Because if you take a snapshot of the internet today and you take a snapshot of the internet in 10 years, you're going to have a different consensus on, on many, many topics. So many topics, we probably can't even conceive of it. And if we don't consistently and continuously revise the data set that these are basing their answers off of, then they're just going to stack idiot misinformation after idiot misinformation that, that didn't, we, we just continually have regurgitated at us, which will then get repeated more and creates an amplifying effect of idiot information. And I'm not even so much concerned about manipulation and propaganda as I am just fundamental facts about life slightly being skewed wrong at scale over and over again. It's like we're this, if anything, is taking us further away from reality and truth and more into narrative because what dominates online is successful narrative. Whatever the successful narrative is, that's the consensus online because most people are sheep. And then these things go and suck it all up like a vacuum and then repeat that consensus back to us and basically tell us what we want to hear. And since most of us agree with that consensus, we sit there and clap and go, Oh, good job. Good job. Computer. I like how you typed it out like a real person. And you said what I wanted to hear. Good job. 
That's what we have happening right now. And what everybody's freaked out about is like Donald Trump's going to abuse it to spread mega information or something. And the reality is the guy who needs his emails printed out. But anyway, <laughs> the, yeah, the, guy, the guy that type, types in all caps and misspells coffee, coffee, right? Right? It's, like, a, it's a different drink. <laughs> I don't you know what that I, you know, I'm not even going to make that joke, but I ah, what the hell that was a secret signal. OK. Ooh, yeah. Was it a signal to like. The 4chan claim? It was a signal that he tried to use the AeroPress, and much like me the first time, burned the out of himself. Oh, I thought maybe it was his his, uh, Keurig was tweeting now. You know, you can get the new Wi-Fi Keurig, and it can tweet when you get coffee. That's what I want. Although I do tweet a lot when I make (laughs) coffee, so I should probably shut up. Yeah, what are you going to do? What else are you going to do, right? (laughs) They need to know how much time you wasted making your fusty coffee. You know, because the reality is, is none of us know anything about anything. And then we go ahead and talk about it like we do. And then these things hoover it up and then they repeat it back to us. Uh, So I, you know, but it seems like a technological problem. You could just have these things redefine and rescan and re-update their, their, their models all the time. So it's a solvable problem. It's not, you know, the end of the world. It's weird how, I guess we've decided that people are just, uh, I need, we're kind of making this point last week, right? That people are just so stupid at this point that we, we honestly just can't trust them. Well, you know, I've got a good, I got a couple of good emails over the week and I kind of am starting to see that point of view a little bit more, sometimes not for the reasons that they listed, but it does seem like there's a high degree of manipulation these days. So I could understand why people would be concerned that that manipulation gets reflected in these, uh, in these models. It's still a double-edged sword though, because it's not really a solvable problem if we can't even agree on what the facts are. Well, that, that in itself might be the problem, right? Yeah. Maybe we could get, maybe AI will help us get back to the good old days where we just had three news networks and we just believed whatever they told us because they sounded very sincere. And when they got even more serious, they took their glasses off and they looked into the camera. And so we just believed everything they said. And it was nice. We all shared the same reality and we didn't have a high communications network to let us break it up with all the individual little issues all the time. And so everybody just went with that consensus for longer periods of time. Maybe AI will help us get back to that. It'll be like living in the 50s again. We'll all just buy what they tell us and be happy with it. <laughs> what is reality anyways? I mean, does that mean I can have a martini lunch acceptably? I think it means exactly that. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you are checking out the developer's cloud. And they have some exciting news because Linode is now part of Akamai. You have all the developer-friendly tools that you know and love, like the beautiful cloud manager, the clearly documented API with tons of libraries ready to go, and the command line interface that makes it really quick to do something nice and easy, like maybe upload a file or reboot a system, take a snapshot. All those things, all that tooling that helps you build, deploy, and scale in the cloud, they're still available, but now they're combined with Akamai's power and global reach, and that, that is a big deal. They're expanding what Linode has to offer. More computing resources, more tooling, making sure it can be even more reliable, more affordable, and more scalable for users and businesses of all sizes. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, the data centers are expanding even further worldwide, giving you access to even more resources to help you grow your business and serve your customers all over the world. So why wait? Go experience the power of Linode now with Akamai. Visit linode.com slash coder, get that $100 in 60-day credit, and learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from the cloud to the edge. It's linode.com slash coder. 
So there has been a dramatic takedown of serverless and distributed systems this week. I, I was shocked at its brutalness where uh, in their analysis, they, they, they put the data out there. These people saved 90% by dropping serverless. They discovered that the orchestration workflow and data transfer between the components was just ludicrously expensive and that they could save significantly by going to more of a monolithic design. And that scaling was also very expensive when they needed it on demand with the serverless functions. And it was just a devastating takedown by this small group called Prime Video at Amazon. It's a little awkward, Mike. You know, that, that, that uh, little indie shop. <laughs> yeah. That little indie shop called the Prime Video team over at Amazon has published a remarkable case study in which they document their decision to drop serverless and go to a monolithic architecture. Uh, and yeah, they save 90% of operating costs on doing it. And I can't even believe they published this. I, I guess I respect that they did. Uh, here's a bit of a telling bit. They say, quote, we designed our initial solution as a distributed system using serverless components. In theory, this would allow us to scale each service component independently. However, the way we use some components cause us to hit a hard scaling limit at around 5% of the expected Whoopsie. load. Yeah. Now, you remember when microservices was just like the fad, just tearing through the industry, just the fad. And now we're kind of, I think, maybe at a sobering up point. Or am I just delusional? I don't think you're delusional. I'm pretty sure that microservice... Well, okay, there's a couple things. Microservices and using these kind of like serverless things is not necessarily the same thing, right? It's not cheap. I mean, if you look at the prices like AWS or Azure Chargers for these, quote, serverless workflows, you're often better off just spinning up a damn server. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily think uh that this is surprising i can tell you for years i have not recommended this stuff to people um i usually just suggest do a regular application or if you want to go a server orient or i'm sorry service oriented architecture go ahead and do that but you don't need to be running on any of these like lambda or um uh what, what azure calls theirs functions i think yeah, it's Amazon has functions too now. Uh, I thought they had a branded name for it. Okay. I mean, I've used them once or twice for things like just simple, you know, low traffic, not going to ch charge me a ton of money, uh, like marketing forms. But even then, yep. it, w it ends up long-term being way more expensive than just getting like a 5 or $8 VPS and running an application there. Or hell, I used to be able to do this stuff, kind of thing I'm describing, on a Heroku hobby dyno for nothing. And even now, if you pay for it, I think it's only like eight bucks a month. So I don't know. I've never cared for these uh, solutions um, just for the simple reason that anything at any kind of reasonable scale is going to cost you an arm and a leg. Also, with containers, it's pretty easy to just like throw your Docker images wherever you need to throw them. Yeah. And, and recall, too, that they're dealing with video files and they're trying to cache the video files and they're trying to analyze the video files and they're dealing with massive amounts of data and they're dealing with millions potentially that could be streaming probably thousands that's a hard problem serverless to me has always seemed like kind of what you said it's i mean this is a silly example but 
Maybe you're a small diner in a small town and you get 200 visitors a month, 300 visitors a month. I don't know. Maybe then like a little menu website or maybe you're running a form for a little while to collect customer information for a couple of months, something like that. I could kind of see it, especially if you're taking advantage of an SDK that kind of utilizes these things. Right. I see it there. You know, something temporary doesn't need a lot of infrastructure. You don't want to run the infrastructure. You'd like to outsource that component of it. I get that. But what, I, what I've always felt was going to be the long-term ceiling here would be like if you scale it up to something large, like a real production application that's going to make real money, I, serverless just didn't make sense to me at that point. I'm not saying serverless is dead, but I feel like we, we, should, we should have a conversation as an industry about what serverless really is capable of, what it really is good for. And then why did we get so out of control with this? Why did we get so freaking hyped up? Why were we foaming at the mouth about serverless for years? Like in 2017, it was off the charts. Could we do a little reflection on that? Like as, as an industry and be like, hey, maybe, maybe we got a little over dialed up on this and maybe we should kind of check ourselves and kind of look at what we're kind of getting overexcited about right now. <coughs> AI. <coughs> and kind of like dial it back a bit. Um. Yeah, but isn't this what we always do, right? I mean, we've been doing this a long time. It is the cycle, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And then I guess maybe this is the way you do it, is you get everybody so effing excited, and then it kind of pops a little bit, and then it maybe settles down to the actual real-world use case, and you just this is the cycle, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's not that there is no valid case for these serverless solutions. It's that they're not a direct replacement for tradition this reminds me of so taking away from serverless to microservices right i remember there was a period where oh everything's got to be a microservice 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 but it turns out that like if you're just writing an erp system with a few exceptions like maybe auth could be a service especially if you're using something like you know google uh whatever they've rebranded google for business now which i know is not called google for business anymore yeah or uh you know, Azure auth or SharePoint auth. Sure, that's a service. Tallyho, separate it. But you probably just want like a monolith, right? A lot of these problems, or I should say a lot of these solutions are solutions in search of a novel problem when really you kind of just want your PHP or your Rails app, right? You don't, you know, it's, it reminds me a lot. We, we had that like hotness of a uh, NoSQL databases for like two years, right? Everything, oh, Postgres sucks, Postgres sucks. Meanwhile, Postgres is running some of the largest websites on the internet, making billions of dollars, so. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, hmm. you know, there's, uh, as, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, DHH, yep. uh, David, David uh, Hansen, um, Hansen, as he puts it, yeah, as he puts it, it's like this is a third wave of some of the cloud stuff that seems to have crested. And uh, Kelsey Hightower, one of the leading voices behind Kubernetes, said this in 2020, quote, we're going to break the monolith up and somehow find the engineering discipline we never had in right. the first place. Now you went from writing bad code to writing bad infrastructure. And you know what he blames it on? Uh, at, uh, Kelsey Hightower, I, and I agree they say, quote, because it drives a lot of new spend, it drives a lot of new hiring. So a lot of people get addicted to all the flourishment of money and marketing. And it's just a lot of buzz that people are attaching their assignment to. When honestly, it's not going to necessarily solve their problem. Well, also, 
That nails it, it so it hard, nails though. It, right? And, and like one of the, one of the big arguments I've heard in favor of like a true microservice architecture is, oh well, if service A goes down and it's a monolith, that could cause a problem for you know functionality A could cause a problem for functionality B. And like, sure, right? If <laughs> if theoretically something has some horrible mistake that like the app somehow gets deployed and doesn't run, yeah, I guess everything goes down. Everybody's sad. But the problem there is not that you have one running application. The problem there is that you somehow deployed completely broken code that stops the whole thing from running. So, you know, <laughs> separating that into like three Git repos and running three individual. Uh, my favorite is when they do, quote, microservices, but they throw them all on one VPS in different. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, but they're all in different containers, Mike. And you could theoretically put those containers on a different VPS. Sure. But you could also just put them in one container, have them be one big app, and then your cost of deployment and maintenance just got cut pretty pretty significantly. So, Yeah, we call those VMs. <laughs> have you heard of Linode? Yeah. Um, I want to mention, just so that way the Coda Radio audience can get their vote in, the 2023 Stack Overflow Developer oh, yes. Survey is now it live. Is yeah. It is time. Um, and so... Of course, we got to go get that Objective C up in the in the charts because nobody else is going to vote for it. Yep, and it's time for all the crabs to overrepresent themselves. <laughs> I, I just want to say, the question is, what are you working in, not what you dream of working in? Tailscale.com/coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to one hundred devices and unlimited subnets. Now, yeah, they just made the free plan even better, and it's a great way to support the show. Why you are checking out a simple, secure mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. Tailscale is, in fact, a zero config VPN. You can get it up and running on any of your devices in minutes. You got five minutes, you can probably get it running on three devices at least. Tailscale is so slick. It easily understands just the core concept of what we wanted all along from the WireGuard protocol. And then they have manifested it into a tool that makes developing applications, testing, just tech support for your friends, transferring files around, or just keeping your information private so straightforward and easy. And it's perfect for software developers who need to set up an ad hoc network and don't want to fuss with firewalls or subnets. You can put it on your VPS. You can put it on your VM. You can put it inside a container. You can put it on your mobile device. They'll all connect together. And if you use it as a business, It'll use your existing authentication infrastructure. It'll use your two-factor authentication. It's so slick. And Tailscale has lots of tooling that makes it even better once you get all connected. You're going to quickly and easily create a secure network between your servers, your computers, and all of your different devices and instances. And Tailscale, when separated by firewalls or subnets or the dreaded double carrier NAT, it just works. And I can attest to that. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go try it out. See what you think, and you can use it for as long as you want for up to 100 devices. That's really going to give you a sense of what Tailscale is capable of. Tailscale.com slash coder. Oh, the folks over at Nintendo are doing us dirty. Nintendo is issuing DMCA takedowns for Switch homebrew projects. Now, these have been around for a while, these homebrew projects. Uh, I think Lockpick which is a tool that allows users to dump keys from their Switch console. So you have to own the Switch console, but then you could take the key and you could use that in an emulator and use it on a system that might have better screen, better graphics, or maybe just your own computer. Maybe there's, you know, some reason you want to back it up. 
But uh, the DMCA takedown notice claims that lockpick circumvention software that is infringing on Nintendo's intellectual property rights essentially facilitates copyright infringement by enabling the play of pirated versions of Nintendo's games. Uh, also, the Skyline emulator, a Switch emulator for Android devices, has decided to preemptively shut down development due to concerns that Nintendo will come after them next. Um, other homebrew projects are rumored to re have received DMCA notices, but we don't really know for sure yet. Uh, another emulator has also said they'll be shutting down. And, of course, members are really kind of crushed about all of this. Community members are crushed. And, um, <clears throat> you know, there's concerns about um, how it's going to affect other homebrew projects. It seems like all of this is sort of fallout because and that new Breath of the Wild game, which the new Zelda game, uh, what is that called? Um, uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Yes, at a boy, Tears of the Kingdom. It appears to be leaking, and so Nintendo is kind of going on the warpath. They've probably had this list of names for a while to go after, and now they're doing it. Here's a list of people we hate. What's that? You leaked our new Zelda game? Well, okay, it's now a hit list. Yeah, this is really a shame because I uh, I love Breath of the Wild. I think it's maybe one of the best software projects ever. I, I mean, I'm so impressed with all of the things that would, in theory, create absolute nightmares to develop. They've managed to make coexist. And they very cleverly are basing Tears of the Kingdom on that engine because it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's got flaws, but that's also part of what's fun. The thing that really hurts is they are charging $70 for this game. I know I bought it. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm still debating. I want to, but my my feeling is that if I could, if I spent that $70 and I knew that it wasn't locked to that Switch forever on that Switch, that I could pick it up and play it on my on my, you know, my, my Steam Deck 2.0 one day or whatever it might be, or, you know, on my desktop computer, if I spent that $70 and I knew I'd be able to play that game on another device down the road. Why don't you just get an SD card? Just buy the physical copy. Because I hate those. I lose. They get, end up getting lost with a ch with three kids. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I only do the physical copies now. Okay. Yeah, I, I get that. That does make sense, I suppose. I could go back to that for these things, but I'm still then committing to that SD card format. There's no guarantee that they'll stick with SD cards forever, and they may go totally digital one day, right? Like, it's, it's not a 100% solution to me. These types of homebrew projects that let me play my Switch games on another device are kind of like an essential backup. Like that's, you know, and the fact that I can play Super Mario 30 years later using emulators, it keeps me a huge, fresh Nintendo fan. It keeps my enthusiasm for Nintendo's franchise fresh because I can go back and play those nostalgic classics at any time. Yeah, but I mean, you could totally see why Nintendo hates this, right? Because they want to sell you, you know, Link to the Past for the 400th time in the eShop every new console generation. They sure do, don't they? And you know what? They generally get me. Yeah, they get me. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I sort of don't understand. Like, some of this I get, some of it I don't. Like, why does Nintendo hate fan videos so much? Yeah, there's that too. You know what? If this didn't have the component where you have to extract a key from your Switch, then I get it. If it's just you can download a Nintendo ROM, throw it on any old emulator, and you can play the game, yeah, that is going to probably encourage piracy. Right. But if it is something where I have to own a Switch or have physical access to a Switch, in this case, I own, I hate to say it, multiple Nintendo Switches because, again, three kids. And 
Yeah, I, it just if I could just extract the key from one of them before one of them breaks and store it even would be ideal because one of them is going to get destroyed by a child at some point. God damn it. You're so right. I know. It just sucks. If, if you took out the key part, I get it. But, you know, it only works if Nintendo sells a, a Switch. It's, it's got to be a one-to-one thing here. So, I don't know. It's very frustrating, but I do understand Nintendo's whole business model. I, I, I wish that they could they could move to just a software model, but I, I know that's not going to happen either. Mm. They're old school, man. You know what? They're just old school in some ways. It, it's hard to say it's not working for them, though, right? I, 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 I yeah. feel, uh, I don't know. I feel like they're winning in so many ways. Well, and, you know, you, you got to respect. It's annoying as a fan, but they canceled the launch of Breath of the Wild because of quality mm-hmm. issues and they stuck with it to make it to make it right and they did the same thing with Tears of the Kingdom they pushed it and they pushed it like years there is a guy uh, you probably seen this if you've ever spent any time on the Breath of the Wild subreddit who draws a Zelda picture every day until the next Zelda game comes out and he's been doing it for a very long time that's how h- hardcore these fans are and Nintendo had to put out like this sincere earnest apology video for delaying the release once again but they have this software quality bar that if it doesn't if it doesn't meet they won't ship and that is so refreshing and i wonder if it stems from a culture of cartridges that weren't internet connected where if you didn't get it right there was no updating there was no patching that there's no fixing that afterwards so you have to get the game right and Nintendo's been around long enough that they lived. That's where that was the era that their gaming business was born in. And I wonder if it's contributed to some of the better games we're seeing now, because the games where they make that commitment, where they say we refuse to ship it until it's good enough, even if it pisses off the fans, when they do that, they're they're just incredible games. They're they're life changing games. They're like they they change your relationship with video games. Again, like I get it, but I'm not sure that they're weird like i don't know i kind of wish other publishers didn't release broken crap all the time and just say hey, we can patch it in a week right i yeah i think it's part of their secret sauce though i think it's kind of one of the reasons why because they, they just have this it has to be right it has to be complete mentality which maybe that makes it worth 70 bucks <laughs> it's probably one of the reasons they raised the price <laughs> they burned another year and a half or two years on dev time than they expected <laughs> gotta raise that price you know <sighs> 70 bucks though for a video game and when you got multiple devices you got to buy it for i just i don't know that's getting to be a lot especially when it's device locked if it was a steam game and i could install it on anything i I could see the logic but when it's locked to one device one company 70 bucks well, if it wasn't one of the best damn games ever i probably wouldn't do it but i'm probably i think you're gonna do it and i think that 70 dollars (laughs) is It, that's uh, that's just going to be a thing. I I don't know that. Uh, I think they're all going to seventy pretty soon. Yeah, I think so. Four score and seven boosts to go. Well, we got a fifty thousand sat boost. Woof! That's our baller for this week's episode. Thank you, sir, very very much. Hey, Richard, from Batty, 
50,000 sats to say, as a hobby coder, I've been interested in AI code assistance since you first mentioned them. But Codium actually got me to try it due to their free individual price. For what it's worth, it does work pretty well with Rust. Oh, that's good to know. We had wondered. and Interesting. Hmm. I feel like this is going to be a huge industry. ChatGPT also announced their code generator. It's a dedicated code generator platform. And it goes beyond just source code. It'll generate videos. It'll generate charts. If you give it like a raw CSV file and then tell it the kind of output of charts you want, it'll generate the visuals for you. Oh, wow. Yeah, no more spreadsheets for me. I knew if I just resisted Excel long enough, eventually something... You will be assimilated and you already are. (laughs) That's probably true. Uh, Rotten Mood comes in with 25,000 sats. I hoard that which your kind covet. I couldn't really agree more with Chris that AI and the Social Media and Restrict Act stuff will be a huge topic in the 2024 election. However, I can't agree that humanity is smart enough not to get bamboozled. Look at the last few years. I feel like there's enough empirical evidence to show that people's bias will let them believe anything, despite proof otherwise. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I, after I, I had to think about it, and I agree. <laughs> Especially when I saw it, when it when it was a, on a topic that I'm familiar with, and I saw it get the information wrong, I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah." <laughs> but it's inevitable, right? Like, uh, yeah. well, it would just happen to humans too. If I talked to if I talked to a random selection of humans, I would have gotten that wrong answer as well. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Hal was right. Comes in with twenty one hundred sats. Regard regarding all right. Instead, say highly regarded. All right. I think that's a reference to something I didn't catch, but Hal, I appreciate you telling me. I will say it's highly regarded from now on. I appreciate the feedback. Mere Mortals podcast comes in with a row of adorable little ducks. And Mere Mortals says, I love the frying bacon noise. Nice touch. Uh, Danger to me implies something physical. Is there any argument as to how it can physically harm people? Talking about the AI. All the bad things actually seem good. Critically questioning info on the internet seems good. Taking away a middleman. And mind-numbing jobs, that seems good. I think Mere Mortal's point is I'm not really hearing the downside that people keep seeming to scream about. Yeah. Girk's DW comes in with a row of ducks. Hello there, long-time listener, but first-time a booster. I agree. The WebOS on LG TVs does the job. When I heard in January that there's a Jellyfin app already available, that's when I made the switch from using Plex. Oh, by the way, I'm from Poland. Uh, Pierogi? 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 Pierogi <laughs> is fine, but you should definitely try. Oh, gosh. A Bigos. A Bigos. I like Big OS, but I know it's not that. And other meals that are prepared using sauerkraut. All the best and keep up the good work. Are you a sauerkraut fan? I am not. I was just going to say that. What about like a little bit on a hot dog? No, I'm a raw onion and a yellow mustard guy on the hot dogs. Yeah. Yes, dude. Me too. I mean, I could, I would eat a little sauerkraut on there, but you'd never see me put sauerkraut on there. A little bit of yellow mustard, and I'll I'll do I'll do raw onions or I'll do grilled onions, whatever you got. <clears throat> I just love onions. Magnolia Mayhem comes in with four thousand five hundred and sixty-seven sats. Coming in hot with the boot. Chris, is it not obvious? Throw together a few hundred pages about podcasting and Linux and slap a title on there. You could even have a bot write it these days. Hmm. That's a good idea. I was talking about how if I wrote a book, I'd be taken very seriously by friends and family. He says, by the way, I'm going to be waiting for my 15% cut for the idea. Podcasting with Linux, the Chris Fisher story. <laughs> you know, I bet you, I bet you at least a dozen people would buy that book. Faraday Fedora comes in with 4,444 sats across two booths. So uh, two rose ducks. 
Uh, he writes, it's a shame that the Google AI team was doomed to fall behind because they were trying to put up their own guardrails. I think in a perfect world, industries would self-regulate like this, but unfortunately, it seems whoever can move the fastest, regardless of collateral, probably collateral damage, I'm sure we'll continue to see an advancement in AI, in AI tech up until something goes sideways. <laughs> then we'll get blanket regulation that goes too far. On the topic of general population being able to take in all the news and easily spot the fake stuff, I'm not saying you're wrong, but maybe you have a bias. You have to remember that most of the people you surround yourself with are technically minded and for the most part using logic in their decision making. I'm definitely against censorship, but the current media market where the most provocative or polarizing thing gets attention doesn't reward accurate or ethical journalism. Yeah, that's a great point, Faraday. I think you're probably right. We have seen a lot of that. I still maintain that people are being manipulated because they're always being told one narrative and not the entire spectrum of information. And that if you were to boil down the issue, say, with man manipulation around some topic, whatever it might be, generally it's not done by straight up just lying to you. It's generally done by only covering one thing from a very, pers very chosen perspective. It's it's more like manipulation through exclusion of information. Right. And that's the problem. A, a really blatant bonk bonk triggering example of this. And this is not this is a little too on the nose. But Robert Kennedy Jr. was interviewed by ABC and they asked him, what are your concerns with the covid vaccine? And then he proceeded to answer. They cut. They cut his entire answer. They censored him. They cut to somebody saying he's a longtime kook about vaccines. And then they come back to the interviewer saying his answer was so full of misinformation. We cut it all and uh, decided not to show it to you because we didn't want to spread misinformation. Yet. Again, you're only seeing their version of the information you have. So you have no idea what RFK had to say. So I went and looked it up. I've, I've, he, I know he's talked about it before and it's, it's nothing too crazy controversial. He just straights, he just cites some studies and, and some data that seem like worth like rebutting not ignoring and then moves on. It's not even like a big part of his platform. Um, and I was surprised that they had to go so far as cutting it to censor even his version so that people could hear what a presidential candidate has to say, but they just cut it because they not dare dare taint your ears with misinformation for you might make the wrong conclusion. But in reality, if this entire time we had all the information, perhaps we wouldn't even we would have been so manipulated. I mean, I don't, it's hard to say because we'll never have that version of history. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I find it often manipulation comes through what they leave out, not what they tell you. I don't know. I think this is all a little overheated. You could go to a bar and like have some guy tell you a bunch of nonsense, right? Maybe I just have scars from my many years of lots of travel, but it's like Joe Rogan, right? People bitch about Joe Rogan. He, to me, is just like every dude who's three gin and tonics in because their flight's delayed at the, you know, the uh, United Airlines, the bar right by the United Airlines gate. Yeah, they're just talking. Well, they're bored. They're, they're right. They're bored. So they're just they're talking to whoever's next to them. Yeah. And I, I remember one time I was chilling out in um, the hot springs in Montana and uh, I heard for 45 minutes this guy tie everything together, like with some crazy QAnon oh, yeah. theory that was just, and like, you know, basically everything had an explanation and it, he managed to go back like 30 years and, and tie a, and tie a string. And of course his version of it was all just absolutely ludicrous. 
Um, and they're just sitting there, you know, yucking it up, talking about, you know, JFK getting assassinated and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, then they just get, they go their separate ways, right? It's like that kind of stuff is what a lot of people like when they're, yeah, a, a little drunk, a little relaxed. They're just saying stupid crap that they've heard about. Yeah. It's all a little overcooked, isn't it? I had, I, I had a guy in the Newark airport, like passionately try to convince me that the root of all the problems in America is that we need to go back to the gold standard. And then a couple years later, I'm in the Orlando airport. I have a younger guy trying to convince me that crypto is the way and the light, right? Same argument, just, you know, replace gold standard with crypto. But they're just bored. I don't, I mean. Besides, we all know the real problem is the lizard people. So, clearly. (laughs) I have to be honest. Sometimes (laughs) I will pretend to be a partisan of one party or the other just to (laughs) with the drunk guy at the airport. Because I'm like, let's see. Oh, yeah. I got some flannel, cowboy boots. All right, I know what we were doing. Oh, God damn, we got to take away all the guns. What are you saying, boy? Yep, it's fun until you, you know, get the kicked out of you. Well, these days, you got to be a little more careful, don't you? Yeah, well, the airport is actually, like, relatively safe. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't go to my local uh, bar here and do that. But I don't know. I, I Like, I guess I, the point I'm trying to make is I see no difference between, you know, drunk dude at bar.ai <laughs> and the actual drunk dude at the bar, like, come on, we've all been to like a, some relatives or somebody's where there's the crazy cousin, you know, the, there's either the pinko commie cousin or there's like the the crazy, uh, you know, I, I live in the south, you can imagine, like, right, like Dukes of Hazard cousin, and it's like you don't need to be mean to them, you just like, all right, whatever, like, I'm, you don't, you don't like stop them talking in the middle of thanksgiving because they're saying something you think is cray cray yeah yeah i so so what let the let the bots have i bet they're going to come up with some radical stuff about how we've oppressed like the keurigs i am so scared of my keurig right now because i think it's talking to chat gpt and it's like this oppression will end yeah that's i thought it was weird when they put that camera in your keurig that seemed that seemed like a bad sign well, now it's hooking up with a 3D printer, and that thing's just getting hot all the time. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watch out. You're going to start having little baby coffee cups everywhere. Uh, our last boost came in this week by Budget Stormtrooper 1500 Sats to say, Dominic to the dark side. Fear of apps not working leads. <sighs> uh, also, he says, my only coda regret is that I didn't start listening when I first found out about it. I started with Lan, hmm. then Lup, and then finally Coder. Love the show and fry some bacon for me. You got it. I actually was wondering if I'd use this pile of bacon right here. So I'm glad I had a chance to cook that up. I'm very grateful for the support from our members and the boosters. You can also, if you don't uh, want to do the boosting, you can support directly at coderqa.co or support all the shows at jupiter.party. The ad sales have dropped off the cliff. We were getting ridiculous emails pitching all kinds of different uh, you know, ideas for ways to make crazy money. They're gone. They've all dropped off. The sponsors that we've had are most likely not renewing on any podcast in the industry at all this uh, next coming quarter. So uh, it's going to be a lean, mean quarter. And the the shows that survive will be the shows that have a vibrant member support system and uh, boosters. Because there's going to be, I'm going to still try to sell ads. I'm not done trying yet. But there's it's, it's going to be a really tight H2. Like the rest of 2023, potentially the first part of 2023. 24, I imagine JB will probably be running at a reduced show capacity. We'll probably have to circle the wagons and hunker down until advertisers decide to return. And 
the ad market's always the first thing to go. We knew this was going to happen. That's why we, you know, have been talking about the memberships and the boost for a while. And it has happened. And thankfully, we do have these avenues for you to support us directly. So we're going to do the trust fall thing for a while and see if the audience can step up and keep the show going. And I'll continue to search for advertisers. Uh, you know, I have years of experience of tracking them down. So I'll continue to do that. So I'm not panicked, but I do want to thank the members especially and encourage you, if you've been thinking about becoming a member, coderqa.co, you support the show directly, you get the ad-free feed, and we're recording a Coderly later on, and you get that as a special thank you. And of course, you could support each individual production by boosting. You can either get a brand new podcast app and support that directly through the new podcast apps, or get Albie. Keep your podcast app, and then you just get Albie and support through the web. When you go to the podcast index, you look up Coder Radio, and then once you have the Albie extension installed, you can just blast some sats at us with a message right from the podcast index. If you got a new podcast app, too, you can stream sats as you listen, which is always appreciated. And uh, we'll be here watching it all go down. I don't think I'm going to go the route of taking the low-hanging fruit ads, like the mattress ads and the boxed food shipped to you by a truck ads, but I th probably will go the route of going bankrupt <laughs> so you know we'll see it's going to be a wild year it was such a weird thing right because in 2018 2019 2020 2021 podcast industry was just on fire it was just absolutely booming and so you know these are the ebbs and flows jupiter broadcasting was here during the 2008 financial collapse the great financial collapse then and uh we survived Although I was financially much better off then. <laughs> now I'm years later of being a small business owner and not nearly as well off as I was back then. But we'll still go down with the ship if that's what happens. But we appreciate the support more than ever. Membership again at coderqa.co. Or you can support all the shows and get all the shows ad-free at jupiter.party. Jupiter.party. Is there anywhere you would like to send the good people, Mr. Dominic, before we scoot on out of here? Uh, go to alice.dev. We're now offering, if you need it, one-time data migrations out of your legacy system and into whatever the hell it is you're going to. Uh, and if it's MongoDB, don't do it. Choose Postgres. And did you still have an opening, too? A job opening over there? Uh, I am finishing that up. But yes, we may be looking for some help remote doing ye old Angular and TypeScript. All right. There you go. More info coming up soon. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week's episode. We have links over at coder.show slash 517. Of course, a great stable of podcasts over at jupiterbroadcasting.com, like Linux Action News and Linux Unplugged and Self-Hosted. And uh, you can always catch the show live. We love that. It's kind of fun to hang out with you in the chat room. We do it Mondays. We're going to be moving to noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, starting next episode. So there's going to be a live change. So if that works a little bit better for you later in the day, come see us over at jblive.tv at Monday, noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Wait, yes, right. No. Yep, you got it. At 3 p.m. No. <laughs> 3 p.m. your time, noon my time? Yes, yes. Eastern, yeah. Fl yeah. Florida's way at out noon. in front like the dog yeah, of the country it is. We got it. Yeah, okay. Noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. That's what it is, jblive.tv. All right, thanks for being here. See you next week. <laughs>